This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's time for Hall of Fame broadcaster Al Bernstein to interact with some of the most fascinating big-name guests from the world of boxing and well beyond. Here's Al. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show, Uh, an episode that I have been looking forward to because we have a fascinating guest, a really delightful guy, Rex Chapman, former great basketball player at the University of Kentucky, a 12-year veteran in the NBA who had a distinguished career, and then someone who got in the news uh, in a big way for his fall from grace uh, because of an opioid drug problem but a man who has rebuilt his life completely. Uh, He is straight and sober now, and uh, he's become, among other things, the king of Twitter. (laughs) He is one of the most uh, well-known Twitter personalities there is. Plus, he's got his own show, The Rex Chapman Show, uh, that is a podcast, and you can also see it on YouTube, and it's excellent. And uh, so he has become, uh, I think, a rightfully so, uh, a well-known personality uh, again. And uh, I wanted to chat with Rex about all these things, and I did so. Here it is. Rex, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Uh, it's really a joy to, uh, to get to meet you uh, a- after uh, tweeting with you. Well, it's more of a th- thrill for me. Thank you, Al, for uh, having me on. I, you know, I... Um... I was looking you up. It's been a couple years ago, and we had a, a mutual friend. Your daughter and I have a mutual friend. Oh no! Oh, Bonnie. Bonnie's actually not my daughter, believe it or not. No, strangely enough, everybody thinks she is, but she she's a wonderful lady. You broke news here. Yeah, yeah. Everybody thinks she is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I was looking her up. I came across you, and I realized you've been on TV doing boxing for really as long as you know I was probably 10 years old I don't know 19 late 70s 1980 yeah yeah so I was 13 (laughs) and but you know there was it was a different time back then growing up in the late 60s early 70s 80s you watched whatever sport was coming on right basketball game on the weekend because it might be tape delayed you watched it watched it uh, there was a boxing match on, and I just remember growing up, you know, Cosell and, and Muhammad Ali and then all the great heavyweights of that era. Yeah, that was the time when uh, boxing was on uh, over-the-air networks. And as you point out, when we were growing up, and you're younger than me, but but during that era, uh, you, you know, you watch the Sports Spectacular and the, the uh, ABC Wide World of Sports, and you would watch, and you'd see, inevitably, the great boxing matches were on there. Now, you mentioned the heavyweights. You actually had the, the, the uh, thrill of meeting Muhammad Ali, didn't you? Yeah, it was really crazy. I, I, uh, I you know, being from Kentucky, I'd heard about him my whole life. Yeah. And, um, you know, just found him just absolutely fantastic. Uh, just listening to him and how, how brave and how, how wise. And then I was a freshman playing at, at Kentucky, playing basketball. And we played at Louisville my freshman year. 
and I had a pretty good game and we beat them. And after the game, I went and did the press or I was on my way to the press and our SID said, Hey, Rex champ wants to say hi. And I said, who? And I walked around the corner and there was Muhammad Ali and he, you know, he said a couple things to me and I, I promise, I don't remember much of it at all. I just <laughs> kind of had my jaw on the floor yeah. um, that whole day from that. I, it's a blur. Um, but man, it was awesome. And then a, a few years later, well, about a year later, I entered the draft and, um, that was the 88 draft. And the night before the draft, we were going to see Spinks and Tyson and, um, we got there a little too late. The fight was already over. <laughs> <laughs> just a, just a little bit late. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but man, I, I grew up, uh, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard and, and, yeah, Dorian, those great and, and Hearns and Hagler. But anyway, I'm a fan of yours as well, bud. Oh, uh, well, I appreciate that very, very much. You know, the interesting thing is, and I detailed at the beginning of the show, you know, all the the great things that you've done athletically and uh, the fact that you, all the dramatic things that have, you know, have happened in your life to, you know, to, for people to know who you are. And yet you probably are constantly bumping into people that are of another generation who know you as the king of Twitter. How is that, that to, it, it's gotta be weird for them to just know you in that way. Yeah, it, it really is. You know, I it just kind of stumbled upon the social media Twitter stuff. And it's every, it's almost every day now that I'll, I will assume someone knows me from sports. And then I find out after talking them, to them for a little while that they only know me from social media. <laughs> and that's, uh, it's pretty surreal. I remember being at the SEC tournament about a year ago or two years. And I went in, they had some interns working the credentials desk, you know, 19 to 22 year old college kids. And I saw a couple of them whispering. I hand them my, my ID and they say, Rex Chapman. I go, yeah, yeah. They go, the, the Twitter guy, right? And I went, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me. That's me. <laughs> that's wild. Um, you, of course, you know, we talked about, uh, you, you, of course, were a great college and pro basketball player. Uh, and, uh, and your pro career was excellent, but during that time, you suffered a lot of injuries, and uh, finally, at near the end of your career, was when uh, they prescribed a lot of uh, opioid drugs for you to take, and that led you to the the, the issue that you had with um, uh, opioids, and and that you know hurt a chunk of your life. Um, how? When did you at realize that this was something that was just going to potentially derail things man as, as you know al and i i talk about it pretty openly um you know you guys have it in boxing uh it's yeah every, every, everywhere football and horse racing and it's every sport and um yeah uh right i had seven surgeries my last three years of playing and when i got done i was i had an emergency appendectomy doctor prescribed me oxycontin this is in mm. the year 2000 and with it about, within about 18 months, I, and I had never taken medicine before. I wanted to get off the medicine after the surgery so I could know how I felt, so I could get, get back out there and play. And so for whatever reason, I took that medicine and within, within two days, I was in love. Like mm. it, it hit me in a way that it apparently hit some people. Yeah. And um, it took hold and 
for about 18 months, at the end of 18 months, Danny Ainge of the Celtics, one of my buddies, he came to me and said, man, you, you look terrible. You know, you're making terrible decisions. I wasn't living at home, four little kids. Um, he said, you got to go away. You got to go to rehab. And I agreed to go. And at that point, I was taking about 50 pills a day, about 40 oh and about 10 Oxycontin, just wow. chewing them up, trying to get them into my system. And that started about a 13 or 14 year on and off battle with painkillers in and out of rehab three times. And then in 2014, I got arrested, um, you know, was just really at my, my lowest point. Um, you know, I'd never been in trouble in my life and, and this drug had just sort of taken over. And I, again, my kids are a little, getting a little older. They're teenagers at this point. And man, uh, I just really had to do some soul searching and soul searching and try to be humble and went to rehab. And at, fortunately at that point, I, um, I took it seriously. I looked into, you know, started trying to be a little more introspective, see what, I what was propelling me what was guiding me pushing me to not really deal with my feelings and emotions and stuff so uh, I'm here seven years almost seven years later and off of pain medicine I do uh, medical marijuana has helped me tremendously um, well that was beneficial to you huh? very beneficial you know after after so long on op opioids and I went for about a year with nothing and it was really difficult it was mm -hmm. you know everything everything seemed louder and you know I also felt like I was kind of coming out of a 15-year coma you know mm. just trying to things had changed and you know things I hadn't been paying attention at all to life had just kind of passed yeah. by for a decade and so I'm trying to make up for for lost time now well and you you know you uh, you did rebuild things. You rebuilt your relationships with family members and others and put your life back on track. And uh, of course, you continue to work in the sports arena and uh, your work as a broadcaster. And now you have a podcast, which we'll get to in just a moment or two, because we have to, to, to explain that the right way. But January 10th, 2019, your life takes another interesting detour. But this one's a, a positive one and a serendipitous one. Uh, you you do a tweet uh, about a, a dolphin that knocks a guy off a paddleboard, and it's funny. And you say block or charge, ba great basketball phrase. And all of a sudden, your life it changes, and it leads you to become the king of Twitter. Go figure. Yeah, you know that it is. It's just pretty much how you described it. Uh, I wanted off of social media at that point. I, yeah. I was really down on the political. City right. and you know it was just sniping but you know for to do what we do they kind of like for you to have a a, a little social media right. they want you to promote so, what you do right and one day I was just and I watch a lot of basketball anyway and I just saw that video dolphins swimming in toward the shore and this guy paddleboarding out dolphin jumped up <laughs> hit him in the chest and I just said aloud you know that's a fucking charge and I tweeted it out. People thought it was kind of clever or whatever. But of course, you only think you're talking to basketball people. And, uh, you know, that kind of took off. And yeah, so uh, here we are a few years later. And yeah, I don't Were know. You shocked? Were you shocked at the reaction uh, that and that it kept going? And of course, you're a very clever guy. So I, I want to add that to the equation. You're funny. You're, you're witty. You're clever. You, you choose these things and... Uh, but were you a little bit surprised that it took on a life of its own like that? 
Yeah, of course. You know, I've never been known for anything other than a basketball player, maybe a drug addict. Uh, so, <laughs> well, I'm sportscaster you know, too. Yeah, okay. It, I'm going to throw that one in for you there. Thank you, buddy. Uh, I'm here to help. (laughs) Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of taking it all in. It was very surreal though. It kind of just was building and building and uh, you know, obviously I'm trying to, trying to do things a little different this time around. Instead of uh, spending all my money at the track, I, I, I try to spend my time doing this. Yeah, you, you during the, the your dark time, you were known to place a few wagers uh, that, that <laughs> caused you a little bit. Uh, but uh, you, you, you resist the term, which I, I agree with, the term influencer. I've never gotten that because, you know, they, they, I mean, a social media influencer, and oftentimes, you know, there are people that are 19 years old who are, I don't know, but I think of influencers as maybe, you know, philosophers that we've read. Uh, those would be influencers. But uh, so you kind of, re, 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 uh, you know, you don't like the term influ- uh, social no. media influencer. No, and my kids hate it even more. I was with yeah. my, my kids last week at, at one of the NBA games and uh, someone came up and my kids overheard him say, no, he's an, he's an influencer. And they all started dying laughing. <laughs> they're yeah, they're saying, hey, he can't, right. even, he can't even influence me for God's <laughs> sake. <laughs> so true. So That's true. great. <laughs> uh, well, one thing you do want to influence, and, and this has been uh, an important thing that's come out of all of what we just discussed, uh, the fact that the Rex Chapman uh, Foundation has really, and you personally, have dedicated yourself to trying to help uh, stem the tide of opioid uh, um, addiction. And uh, has that, uh, the idea of doing that, has that kind of helped you on a personal basis? And tell me some of the things you guys have managed to, to do to help. Yeah, man, I, I think that it does help. It helps me on a personal basis. All of this stuff helps me on a personal basis. If I'm out there you know, talking about this stuff. I've got to stay true. You know, I can't be messing around and it keeps me focused. It, it, so it's definitely doing something for me. The, one of the cool things about the, the Twitter following and maybe the only cool thing uh, about a year, year and a, well, a little over a year ago, good buddy of mine, an attorney, we grew up together from first grade and we went to college together, all of that. And, um, during the pandemic, you know, I, and I had this opioid foundation, the Rex Chapman Foundation already. And uh, so I asked him, I said, you know, we should be able to do because you remember how scary it was and still is in, in many places, but food banks and not enough PPE and first responder uh, issues. And so uh, we had a, decided we were going to partner with a nonprofit and start raising money just through Twitter. And out within six months, I bet we had raised three hundred thousand dollars. Wow! And, and we gave money, Great. we gave grants out from New York to New Jersey to all the hot spots in California, Phoenix, uh, the places that I played, Charlotte and uh, Washington, and um, so just really just trying to help and and do something positive. And again, that's not me. This is just all the people on Twitter that were so giving during that crazy time, just trying to help their neighbor get by. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's when we we feel good about being uh, a human being, don't we? Um, now, you you have a, a podcast, uh, 
block or charge uh, uh, with uh, with uh, David Helmers, your friend. Yeah. And uh, are you enjoying that endeavor? Yeah, we we did that. We did that for about two years on Cartoon Network, and we're trying. We're probably looking for a new place to do that. They kind okay. of threw some changes there. Uh, but then I've got my I've got another podcast with a good buddy of mine named Josh Hopkins, who's an actor. You, I'm sure. Oh yeah, that's right. That's the other yeah. one I was going to point uh, out. Yeah. Yep. With uh, he was in the Perfect Storm and Quantico, and he's been in every other Law and Order forever. Beautiful looking guy. I don't want to talk about him too much. He's <laughs> he'll get the big hit. Um, and that's a, that's just a fun pod we do. We've had Shaq on and Steph yeah, you've had Curry. some great guests on there. Yep. Shaq and Steph Curry and, uh, oh my gosh, James Jones and, uh, Rick Pitino is just a, a fun basketball kind of podcast, sports podcast. And then, uh, I do do one that that's kind of, um, become popular called charges. And that's, um, a buddy, good buddy of mine who I played with, played ball with 25 years ago, Stevie Nash. Uh, he called me and said, Hey, uh, I got an idea for a pod. Uh, would you be interested? And I said, I don't know. What are you talking about? And I don't visualize things very, very well. And he just kind of laid it out. He said, you know, it's about athletes who've gotten in trouble and, you know, you bring them on, talk to them and then hit, hit the lowest point in their life, you know, that they experienced publicly. And what was that like for them? Not mm. what it was like for the writers or the journalists right. or, the, or the, you know, uh, talk radio. What right. was it like for them in their mm. words? And I got to tell you, you know, I did the first one and kind of shared my story. And I've been just overwhelmed by the athletes that have come on that's amazing chris heron to ryan leaf to i i mean just jason williams recently um that just come come on and bear their soul and that is a really powerful thing and i think the listeners have have kind of picked up on that and appreciate you know uh these guys coming on and really being so vulnerable Cool. And all those podcasts you mentioned, I'm sure are available on all major podcast oh, that's, platforms. That's right. that's right. People can find them by finding Rex Chapman. Now, before I let you go, uh, you're, we're taping this show while the championship series is going on between the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. You are a former Phoenix Sun, and you are in Milwaukee right now uh, getting ready for, for, I think, game four of the series. And however this series comes out and people will know when they see this, uh, this interview, this has to be kind of heartwarming for you to see this franchise come back and do what they're doing. No question. You know, I, I spent my last five years playing out there, but we spent 20 years there uh, raising kids and, and all that. And my girls still live out there. So this is just, you know, it's kind of unexpected, but uh Man, I'm happy for both franchises. Yeah, I've been, true. I've been to both uh, uh, the games in Phoenix and the one here in Milwaukee already. And I just got to tell you, it's so hard to dislike the Bucks. Giannis, yeah. is a, he's a two-time MVP, does everything you, you'll ever ask yeah. a teammate. Drew Holiday doesn't have a flaw in his game. Chris Middleton is kind of like a bigger Joe Dumars. He just, you know. Yeah, it's a good analogy. And, and – and, and it's nice to you while he's doing it. Um, and then the Suns, what a story. Um, man, I, I, I just think, I, obviously, I kind of pull for the Suns, but 
I wouldn't wouldn't care if this series went seven games. I'm happy for the fans. The fan, you know, that's the best part, really. Is yeah. That being, Two franchises that being really in an arena that. too, but being in an arena with fans out, yeah. you know, it's it's uh, we we took a lot of stuff for granted. I think that that has been ma just magic in both cities. Absolutely, you're absolutely right, and that's uh, I'm I'm happy for both these franchises and, and certainly for you and the Suns. One last question. Uh, you had a wonderful athletic career and of course it ended on kind of a sour note because what it led to because of the the drug addiction but i'm hoping the answer to this is yes can you still look at the joy of your athletic career without it being tainted by the last part that went south i'm i'm curious to know you know I, I'm getting better at doing it. Was I, it hard for a long it, time? It's been hard, but you know, it's not, it's not just how it ended. You know, I was kind of a, I looked at myself, you know, I was a McDonald's all American and a McDonald's yeah. all American in college. And then, you know, kind of the next step for me is NBA all-star. And yeah. uh, so I, I was, <laughs> I was voted on one year, the year Michael went to, to play baseball. And the day they told me that morning, I'd made the all-star team. That day I dislocated my ankle in the game. I woke up at home with a cast on my leg, still in my uniform and seeing where I'd been replaced in the all-star game on TV. So, you know, just all athletes, I think are a little bit crazy. And I tend to, I tend to harp on the things that I didn't achieve more than I, I do the things I did probably. And I'm, yeah. but I'm, I'm getting better. It's hard. It's a hard thing not to do. And you did have those unfortunate injuries uh, during a, a good portion. And 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 you were a very gifted player, obviously. And uh, and while you did have a very solid professional career, uh, I'm sure it's it's hard to look back sometimes. But we all enjoy. I and I was a big fan. I loved watching you play, and I'm sure mi millions of others did as well. So you you can take that. Uh, you know, put that at least tuck that away as as one thing. Rex, I, I, I really enjoyed talking to you and I uh, appreciate what you're doing now. You know, you have a funny line. You say we're, we're bringing people together one stupid video at a time or one funny video at a time. And and that's exactly what you're doing. And I think that's great. That's good. buddy. it's just a fun community of people kind of uh, safe haven to come and kind of commiserate for a little while. Uh, All right, good luck. I, and I'm telling you, I'm a big fan, buddy. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. And good luck with all the podcasts. And uh, thanks again. Thanks, bud. Take care. This part of the show is brought to you by Showtime, the home of Showtime Championship Boxing and Showbox. So that was my chat with Rex Chapman. Hope you uh, enjoyed it. Rex is a delightful guy, as you saw, and a very interesting man as well. Oh, did I say interesting man? That uh, describes my co-host, Trip Mitchell. Trip, how are you? I am doing great, Al, and I'm at the Al Bernstein Vacation House in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and uh, you didn't loan me the Al Bernstein jet, but the house is perfect. Thank well, you very there much. You go. I'm here to help. I'm here to serve and protect. Uh, <laughs> that's good. You're having a good time down there. That's, that's very nice indeed. We are. We've got three great questions, and uh, Let's start with a literary one and go from there. How's that? Okay, dogs. Okay. Uh, one of our wonderful viewers just said, Al, I recently bought and thoroughly enjoyed Jerry Eisenberg's, a guest on the show, book, Once There Were Giants. I was curious what your favorite books written on the sweet science, other 
than your own excellent book, of uh, course. Well, I don't know if mine uh, stacks up against a lot of the great books in boxing, but uh, uh, but I will tell you one that I really, really, really love. It's called The Ghosts of Manila, and it's written uh, by Mark Cram, who was a fantastic writer at Sports Illustrated. He's since passed away. And it's all about Ali Frazier and that great fight and other things about them. And uh, much as Jerry Eisenberg's book uh, talked a lot about Ali and Frazier, and he was uh, a man who knew both of them very well, Mark Cram did a spectacular job in writing this book. So I strongly urge people to get it. That would probably be maybe my number one pick. Does boxing lend itself to great literary works? Oh, I think so, yeah. Boxing... The two sports that people say for many, so many years did boxing and baseball, and especially when they were at the high end of the totem pole of sports. And uh, there have been so many great books written uh, uh, about boxing it, because the characters and the individuals uh, make for good storytelling. And I know you played a lot of baseball. Do you ever broadcast a baseball game? No, strangely not. Um, I've covered baseball for SportsCenter. I covered about three or four seasons of baseball for SportsCenter, in which I went around. I was on the Baseball Tonight show, and uh, I went around to a lot of the Major League ballparks, and I would cover baseball for them. But I've never actually announced a baseball game. Okay, well, we, something to work on in the future. Yeah, i got to look toward that. That's on the bucket list. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Joy Deep asked, who is the better heavyweight? Tommy Morrison or Jerry Cooney? I thought when that question came along on Twitter, I, I found it interesting. I've never been asked that, and I've never thought much about comparing the two. Uh, but, you know, both were very good fighters who probably didn't get as much of the their due as they should have um, because they kind of had failures in big moments in, in certain fights. And yet both men accomplished a lot. You know, Jerry Cooney got to his title fight with uh, Larry Holmes and fought not poorly in that fight. Uh, but Larry Holmes was too much for him and ended up winning the fight. Now, Tommy Morrison accomplished a little more in the sport of boxing at the end of the day than Jerry Cooney did. Because uh, Cooney exited the sport, you know, not after he lost to Michael Spinks uh, and didn't have a super long run. Uh, Tommy Morrison... You know, he won the world title, beating George Foreman. I think it was the WBO title. He had major wins. Uh, and and I think in the long run, the question of who's better is either who would beat each other if they fought each other or who accomplished a little more. I think Tommy Morrison accomplished more at the end of the day than Jerry Cooney. Uh, if they fought each other, it would be a fascinating fight. Both men were practitioners of great left hooks. Uh, they both had tremendous left hooks, and uh, they would be banging away with that punch. Um, if I had to pick a winner, I might lean to Morrison a little bit. If both men are at their best, only because I think he might have gotten to Jerry Cooney with his power. And uh, a Tommy Morrison undercard was one of the best stories ever told on this show where a uh, fighter fell out and you found somewhere you didn't, but the folks found someone in the stands after a couple beers who stepped in on the undercard. And that's Sometimes a great had, uh, story of boxing. Yeah, there was uh, the opponent for Tommy Morrison fell out, Tim Tomaszek, uh, who was, in fact, uh, this happened. He fell out like 20 minutes before airtime. We were doing the fight on, on uh, ESPN, and they found Tim Tomaszek in the 
stands and he'd already had a couple beers and they said, would you like to fight Tommy Morrison? He said, certainly. Uh, <laughs> he went down and he's a character and he, he put on quite a show. Uh, he lost in uh, four or five rounds, but he was a character. The interview he did with me afterwards was hysterical. I urge people to go to YouTube and find it. Uh, and uh, and he ended up on the David Letterman show uh, because of that. So it was quite, quite the uh, incident. Hey, man, finally, uh, Pulley asked, in your opinion, what would be the keys for victory for Rolando Romero in a fight against Tank Davis? Yeah, the main key to victory. Now, Rolando Romero just won. He beat uh, Anthony Yigget on our Showtime uh, show. Uh, the main key to victory for Rolando Romero right now would be to not take a fight with uh, <laughs> Devante Davis. Uh, after the fight, Rolando Romero said he wanted to fight uh, Tank Davis. They are, interestingly, under the same promotional umbrella of Mayweather Promotions. Uh, I, I just don't, he is nowhere near being ready to fight Tank Davis. Uh, Rolando Romero is a pretty good lightweight, potentially 140 pounder, who has a very, very low level title, which I is not, you know, those you can't figure out anyway. They're not really uh, titles of note. Uh, and and he's figuring out his way through the sport, and he has a lot of power, and he's a character, and he's a very interesting guy, uh, but he should not be fighting uh, Tank Davis. There's no doubt about that. So um, I'll just leave that one there. Uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, our show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the, the chat we had with Rex Chapman and Tripp. Uh, enjoy the rest of your trip down there. Okay, and maybe we'll give away a week at the Al Bernstein Vacation House to one of our viewers. How's that? We'll, we'll do a special trivia question for that. <laughs> All right. You take care, everybody, and we will see you next time.